three. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of 26.1 AI podcast. Today, we have our guest, Shreya Nalapati, who's the creator of an important social good AI project. And we'll turn it over to Shreya to introduce it. Shreya, welcome. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Shreya Nalapati. Um, I'm 19 years old and I live in Denver, Colorado. It's currently my last quarter of college, so I'm very excited about that. Um, and what this organization is, it's called Never Again Tech. What it does, it's really um, focusing on the intersection of machine learning and AI and how it can help understand mass shootings. And so that was really the, the original co concept of this organization. You know, can we use AI to predict mass shootings? So what, how our AI works or how our like machine learning works is that in 2019, we noticed a pattern um, that, you know, three of the biggest mass shootings that would happen in the world all came and were like, in, their, their inception started on these, what we call fringe communities dash alt-right websites named 4chan, um, nchan, and 8chan, which has actually been dismantled and now is 8kun. And what we realized is that the people who, you know, frequent these forums were Brenton, Tarrant, and the other perpetrators posted, they all have the same kind of, they use the same kind of language. They actually espouse the same kind of ideologies that are very anti-Semitic, racist, um, and very, you know, transphobic, all of what you can imagine. They kind of have the same ideologies. But within those, only very few of these kind of like posts that, you know, talk about them end up with an actual materialization of a plan. So what we wanted to do is we developed an automatic crawler that scans millions of posts within like a minute or so. And from this automatic crawler, we developed a simple, not really simple, but like an easy NLP processor that kind of, first of all, just analyzed all the posts to get a good idea. It's called count vectorizer to get a good idea of what are the most common words, what are the most frequent words in a corpus or a body of text. From there, we kind of went in and we're like, okay, we assigned a value with each of them. And so the value of ones in the vast of zeros, you can imagine is very like small. There's not like a mass shooting happening for every post that is made. But we do, but when we did that, we found like 80%, uh, we made it a 2080, I think. So we found 80% or we took a very small subsection of these millions of posts, 80% were zeros, 20% were ones, right? And in these 20%, it didn't just, it's not necessarily a mass shooting, but what we clarified is like having a clear and tangible plan. And so within this clear and tangible plan kind of subsection, we took note of the exact kind of syntax that is used and what kind of distinguishes a zero from a one. And within that, that's when we, you know, kind of align the AI or the automation process to whenever we scan a corpus or body of text, it automatically does the vectorizer and the count vectorizer. But we take our previous instances of ones and zeros and we align them to determine what future instances would look like. And that's a very small subsection of, you know, trying to predict and prevent mass shootings. But what the key idea of this is understanding the kind of like bubbles or like the magma before a volcano erupts. What kind of language is being enabled? What kind of ideologies are being enabled? 
but past the classification, you know, we wanted to see, like, you know, there are similarities between manifestos that are posted. Some are directly inspired from one to another. For example, the Christchurch shooting directly inspired the Jabad of Poway shooting. And we can tell by because the manifestos had aligned almost perfectly, or there were slight variations, but they talked about the same thing. And so at first we kind of came in with a supervised ML approach, you know, like, you know, one, zero, one, zero. But later, as we kept uncovering it, we really just wanted to understand this kind of really weird, but also and very fringe, you know, section of the internet and how that can actually lead someone to commit a violent act. So what's the distinction between thinking about it versus doing it? And how can we determine that with words? So it's not by no means solved, but it does give us a clearer idea of, okay, so mass shootings and mass shooters, they don't just come out of nowhere. There is a community that enables this kind of thought process that allows it and even encourages other people to do it. And that's when we kind of made our clear... Uh, key realizations. Does that make sense? What's your personal motivation for this? Why was you um, you as a person, and you know, what are you getting out of it? Yeah. So really, what I'm getting out of it is, <laughs> you know, sometimes I wonder that myself when I look through all these posts, and you know, mass shootings is a very, very hard topic, right? Well, you know, I kind of had a personal experience related to the um, STEM mass shooting. So basically. A couple of my relatives, and so the STEM mass shooting actually happened right in my backyard because I'm like from South Denver, so Highlands Ranch. Um, what happened was, you know, one day I was just like, kind of like driving, uh, I think to like, I think I was driving to work or something. Um, and I noticed a bunch of flurry of cop cars coming in. And I was like, oh shit, oh sorry, oh crap, you know, am I speeding again? What's going on? Um, but then I realized that all the cop cars were speeding towards the school that like my relatives went to. Um, and I was like, oh my God, what's happening? And then someone told me there's a mass shooting happening right now. And I was like, oh my God. So I texted them and I was like, hey, are you okay? What's going on? And they were saying that, you know, like we could hear, we can hear the glass breaking. There's bullet holes in the wall. We see the blood coming out. Like that's what they were texting me as we were all filing out, like as they were all filing out single line, right? Um, and so this really made me like upset because I remember like seeing, I remember feeling so hopeless when I was outside of the building, right? Um, and I couldn't do anything about what's happening inside the school, but then seeing the despair of the parents who like didn't even know if their child was alive or not, that was very disheartening. And, you know, like consoling the crying parents, like the desperation of the whales, that's when I was like, oh, Frick, like, you know, this is really my call to action. This is why my work matters. Because although the STEM mass shooting perpetrators didn't necessarily have, like, you know, a they definitely weren't on 4chan or 8chan, as far as I know, and their social media trail is actually very small, there were definitely instances that showed that where they talked to their friends about it, and there were multiple warning signs, but we only care about mass shootings after they happen, not the, like, you know, years or even months of, like, you know, or months of like build, of it building up so that's when I was like you know tech is one thing but really the, what the core of it is stopping these events from before they happen and so that's kind of like where my personal motivation lies I think that's a very telling story behind you know what motivated you how old were you at the time 
I think I was 18 or 17. No, I was 18. Yeah. Okay. So it was really, really recent. And then uh, just to get your like broader perspective, now you're using this machine learning that you must have learned not too long ago. Um, and you're using it for the good, social good. But it also brings up to me a lot of, you know, privacy issues and, and questions like that. Um, what is your feelings on AI in general? You know, do you have concerns about it being used for evil or, you know, what is your, I mean, obviously you're using it for good, but what's your personal perspective on where society could take it too far? Mm -hmm. Well, I read this great book called The Singularity is Near. Um, if you've heard of it, it's like a really the defining moment of AI and where it goes. And I don't remember if it's a quote from it or what I've like decided or like, but I think that AI is dependent on the people who use it. AI itself does not have power or, you know, it, it isn't some automated robot that's like, you know, going around and running things that we have no control over. AI is dependent on the human databases and the humans that want to put it to use. So with that, you know, there are good humans and there's bad humans. So in that same way, AI could have good uses or bad uses. Um, I think that what we really try to do is the reason why this project is like, has been like two and a half years to three years in the making is because at first there was no data. And whenever you don't have good data, like if I'm only looking at a, corp a database of 346 instances, you know, basically that means my machine learning is worthless because ML works on like, you know, dozens and millions of data. Um, but so we spent that next year understanding where can we get those pockets of data and, you know, that's why we came upon HN, which I think is a very good use. But in general, AI, I, I see really bad examples of AI, especially in Silicon Valley. I think one such company is like Palantir, you know, using it, you know, in an inhumane ways without people's knowledge. But I think that what may, what like what moral ethical code that we lie on is whenever that you know, boundary between thinking and action in which it can hurt other human beings, that's when we kind of come in. And that's when we kind of made that judgment call, okay, we need to use AI on this. It's not like, you know, we're disclosing personal details because we can't, we, HN does not allow people to, you know, like I can't click on a user and get this name and everything. But if there's an actual tangible plan where it does endanger the lives of people around them and we have a possibility to stop it, that's where AI comes in with a good use. But AI in the instance of, you know, of, <laughs> of like, you know, disclosing recipients to, you know, an ICE, uh, ICE border, right? Or, you know, doing it unlawfully or unethically, that it's a very big distinction and it's an important distinction. So that's why, you know, it's so important to understand, to come up with good data and good databases in order for those machine learning things to be employed because one ml technique is the same throughout whether or not you use it for like climate change or you know mass shootings but what we really want to do is understand you know is this the best way and, and that's when like law enforcement officers come in too and now with the changing landscape of law enforcement officers we're really reconsidering you know when do we make that a judgment call between you know thought and action so I, it's a very convoluted answer, but AI, again, I'll just like summarize it. You know, AI itself is very naive. It can't, it, there's no like program and, or algorithm running without our knowledge. So it depends on the database and the people that run the AI and what use it's being used for. Since you brought up Palantir and policing, 
mm-hmm. maybe take this chance to define your project against some uses of AI that superficially may resemble what you're trying to do. Um, particularly in the case of Plantier, it's very likely that they're vendors for law enforcement, for example, and they're, they may be selling a solution for detecting or predicting criminality. Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. So let's, let's set that straight for folks. So like what the distinction is. Okay. So really when we thought about, you know, criminality, especially in the light of these past few months, we were kind of like, we were kind of thrown aback by how egregious some of these use cases are and how biased the data is, especially against a certain demographic. In this case, African-American males. So we had every option to kind of try and employ this machine learning, you know, the analysis of syntax to determine if someone's like a mass shooter in very extreme cases, can we use that and distill it somehow to determine criminality? But we decided against it because that in and of itself is a very, very biased field, more so the actions that are taken against people who are identified as criminals in certain demographics are very extreme. There's no protocol. There's no established protocol like there is one if there's someone is about to commit a mass shooting. I can tell you those are very different. So instead, what we wanted to do is kind of employ something totally, totally out of the AI and um, AI and, you know, like tech to predict anything kind of field. So when we were looking at this, we realized that in all these protests and all of these, you know, kind of civil engagements, there's been a lack of like concern about mental health and what mental health means. Not only mental health on one specific side, but there's a there's like something devoid about a community. There's no community in like, you know, police officers versus Black Lives Matter. There's no community in, you know, this polarity versus this polarity. So we started, we hired a social worker actually. Her name is Monty Angel. She's like a brilliant social worker in the field to come to us and tell us, you know, What's kind of when we're analyzing, like, you know, when we're analyzing social events and violence specifically, what's the key factor that's missing? And then we realized that, you know, there's a very important topic that's being floated around right now called transformative justice and transformative justice models. And although it's not related to AI and tech in any way, transformative justice is like this great idea of, you know, setting up pockets of peace within communities where they can kind of come through and kind of come and heal their trauma together, basically. So although at first I was like, whoa, this is a great recommendation, but what does this have to do with AI and tech? Well, it doesn't. Um, What we did is we were creating a policy document on why transformative justice might be useful. So really the Never Again Tech project isn't just applying AI to whatever field that, you know, there's like some data and, you know, maybe a use case. We really found one niche area where we definitely find it we think it's the most beneficial to, you know, use text to predict activity. But in the cases where there's already been examples of very egregious profiling and bias, we wanted to take a more radical route. And that's like, you know, writing policies to say, can we create transformative justice pockets in affected communities? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I'm I'm following where you're going with that. It's an evolving conversation. So that's the tough thing. But most importantly, I did want to provide some contrast from what you're attempting to accomplish compared to vendors like Palantir and how they may be yeah. interacting with law enforcement. Um, decidedly, I can't imagine that there's many black males 
posting regularly on some of the websites that you are monitoring yeah, for text absolutely. and communication. It's just not the ideology that fits with the demographic that's typically categorized as criminal by some of these vendors that are selling their solutions. Probably in most cases, um, irresponsibly to uh, law enforcement. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I just have to ask, is what I'm saying making sense right now? Because sometimes I know I can. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think, I think it's making a lot of sense. And what you're, and let me just take a stab at seeing if I understand. But uh, what you're doing is you're taking this very data science perspective of analyzing the data and you're finding signals in some pockets and not in others. Or you're questioning sometimes whether, you know, the signal is strong enough to make a judgment call off of some pockets or, or the others. Yeah. I mean, I can, I, uh, let me just say, like, I can definitely go back and revisit as many times as we need to, to really make sure that, you know, what I'm saying is get, being understood. Um, but really, like, predicting mass shootings or predicting anything with 100% certainty is just impossible. It won't ever be possible just because human behavior is so irrational. Human behavior is constantly changing and the mediums from which we like, you know, kind of execute human behavior is always changing. So with when we came across this like, you know, giant like gargantuan, how can we predict mass shootings? That the answer is if we was just like that, people would have solved it by now because there's only 346 instances or like maybe now 400. That's not enough for an AI algorithm to accurately say, well, X mass shooting is going to be tomorrow at this location at this time. And it's right? also like a series of events. It sounds like that leads up to that yeah. series of conversations exactly. that, and that manifests though, that you mentioned as well. That exactly. Well, I mean, this so is, I think it's really helpful and I think you covered it well. Um, and I, I, I want to be sure that we touch on, you know, this on, along with some other topics as well, if that's possible, because I want to get a full breadth yeah. of, your, you know, kind of where you're at with your vision of AI. And you already mentioned nicely about where it can go wrong. And I appreciate your answer about the, the good, you know, good people versus bad people and using it as a tool. And I appreciate that very well. But what is, you know, what is your point where you say, I've reached the point where this is good enough um, that is as good as it's going to be, um, or is that never going to happen with this project? Will you ever say, okay, now it is good. Now I'm going to move on to my next project. Uh, no, I think that I think I'll always stay with the topic of, you know, AI for social good. And also I'm really also intrigued by how we can prevent violence because violence is such a big thing that happens, especially in the United States. I mean, I think the next steps are to employ more deep learning techniques, um, deep learning in terms of like BERT models on this corpus of data and just let the AI run wild instead of giving it directions of like one and zero. Um, so that would be one really big like next step for me. Um, but in terms of like the project, I don't know, we'll see. I think that, you know, what we've made are really, really astounding discoveries, not all of which I can disclose. But I think that we've shaped the AI um, or the mass shooting conversation a little bit towards, you know, we're not, it's not the typical like lone wolf person perpetrator who, who's been bullied at school and wants to commit a mass shooting. That's the way the media portrays it. And it has an affinity to doing that. 
but it's about like you know i think what our work has really done is show that you know no it's like you know what i said before magma bump bubbling under a volcano there's these pockets that you know people are starting to pay attention to a little bit it's been covered sometimes but people don't understand the intensity of these conversations that are happening on these french communities and so that's one big revelation we made in the AI definitely has some aspects to kind of work out, but that's why I said machine learning. I think next will really be, you know, all of this is great, but what can civilians do in a, in a place where there's a lot of like, not necessarily mis distrust, but like maybe distrust on law enforcement officials. Is there anything civilians can do about violence in general and preventing it as a community before certain instances have to materialize? And I think that's where that, you know, trauma and, social work conversation comes in so it's like the project right now is just like a very it's literally just an amalgam of so many different pockets pockets and like projects and ideas and conceptualizations uh, but I'm really happy about it because if we did stick with one stringent goal of you know my ideas just predict a mass shooting two years out from now that would have failed but we're learning with the process and we're understanding you know, we've discovered one big thing. What's the next big thing? It, it just happened. And you've, you've developed quite a following on this too. It sounds like you have 200 people helping you or something like that. I think I read. Yeah. At one point there was 200, but you know, as soon as we made that more of a shift into kind of like the dark web and the kind of like, kind of the things that you don't want to talk about, I think, you know, that, that's, that has like the amount of people who want to work in that area has significantly been narrowed. Um, but yes, you know, at one point we had 200 people very eager about, you know, policy, data science, uh, policy, data science, you know, app development, website development. But as soon as we kind of narrowed it down, we found more people, but in different areas. Does that make sense? So, I'll Yeah, absolutely. Was there, is there a common thread between the people who want to help? The common thread is people have people who have experienced or lived or grow up with mass shootings some way more personally affected than others, but it's also just like people who are really unrelenting. You know, they're it's almost, it's a very young demographic. It's like Gen Z, right? And you know, the kind of like the, um, the kind of like thing associated with Gen Z, you know, the people who want to get it done. That's definitely how I would describe it. When we, at the beginning, the people who got it done were just as effective of the people who are as the people who are getting it done now. Would it be helpful to have inclusion of other generations into this process? Oh, that's what, that's what exactly what I said, uh, what I wanted to say. Um, so we kind of started off as that, like, you know, 200 young, like, women, right? But as we went on, we started, you know, including policymakers and big politicians in our kind of, in our data and our board, um, and, and like, in, in the projects and the board, people who have, like, who have dealt with, like, you know, why, a, why has policy not been made in this area for so long? So definitely, like, we, now it's, like, it's starting to encompass, you know, people within the cities of like where you know where racial violence occurs to people who live in the suburbs so uh, it started off very niche but now it's definitely getting into well this is something that affects everyone no matter what how, how close are you to using the data to identify root cause and you know using that data also to change policy well we've already started doing policy work um we used some of what we were saying um for to write policies for governor higginlooper and bennett and Senator Bennett and some people on like the federal level as well. Uh, you know, we like, you know, we discussed it with Gabby Giffords, you know, the big um, G Giffords organization too. Um, so we've already started implementing policy, but the truth, like 
but the truth is that real meat of the you know potato uh, the real meat of the sandwich is like which is like translating what we learn in the dark web to the reality that still has a long way to go because you know we don't know who these people look like in real life you don't know like in order to access those, those websites itself you have to go through so many hoops so it's still like varies removed from like policy itself but we want to get it there it's just not there yet have you had a chance to connect with emma gonzalez about this and discuss yes i've actually met her and i've met uh sarah chadwick who's one of the uh, survivors at a global teen leaders organization how expensive is the compute time for running your project in terms of big o notation is that no, no, not the complexity <laughs> but the actual cloud consumption or wherever you're running the the, the training oh, well yeah it's it's really the way it works is it's definitely expensive i mean you can talk about the time although it um although the algorithm runs very fastly to div- to download and store all of those data that's it's very expensive um especially uh especially because you know we have to get like an amazon web server to like really make sure that if we lose it because the website keeps changing every time that there's some way place to store it so it is expensive the way we wrote the like crawling web application is you know it's it, it can process it in multiple like it processes it multiple in like in a matter of seconds but storing it is really where the expensiveness in, comes can, from. To store can, it. can brian or i help in trying to find you some resources or do you already have sponsorship on it or uh like storing the data yes. uh, oh yes i would love that i mean we we tried splunk out a little bit um but you know, we want to see if like, because like we're talking millions and millions. And so, yeah, we'd love to see if there's any other help in that area. Had you spoken to any of the cloud providers at all and their products or perhaps like Red Hat or any of the storage providers? Yeah, we want to right now. Yeah, right now we're like, you know, because like right now it's also very, very, um, you know, high, like highly sensitive data too. So we want to really make sure that there's all these security considerations not only because you know what happens if it's leaked, but because the nature of the material itself is just so inexplicable. Um, we were like looking at different vendors. So it's a good conversation to have. And if you have any resources, but for now we were like looking in a very limited sense. If you have any kind of a concise proposal, I'm happy to try to forward it to the context I may have. Okay, perfect. Yeah, we I can definitely give that to you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Send it both of our ways. We we'll uh, we'll do our best to help. Uh, you know, we run this podcast for for just our own personal interest in this space, and we're not commercially aligned. But certainly, we can you know do social good as well. Um, even though we're not generation, what generation are we? X, uh, Don? I think you and I are solidly solidly X. Yeah, yeah. So it's okay. We're we're a couple Gen- characters. We're a couple characters away, but. With the same mission in, in mind, I think that I think Gen I think, Z likes our music, though. So <laughs> is that true? Okay, so um, yeah, what kind of music do you like? Yeah, me. Oh, I kind of like K-pop a little bit. Oh. I know it's weird. Oh, no, that's but... not weird at all. That's very popular these days. That's interesting. Yeah, so, BTS is a multi-billion-dollar enterprise now with their IPO. Yes, I will. Yeah, no, the the amount of like, I mean, I don't necessarily like, I'm I'm not a fan of them specifically, but the K-pop industry is doing wonders for the Korean South Korean government. Oh my! God. <laughs> I, I I speak Korean. My mom's Korean, so I 
Yeah, I get it. Oh wow! Yeah, that, I was gonna say I really like the group EXO. I don't know if you've heard of yeah. them, but yeah, mm, I'd have to look them up. Yeah, I, I think I like uh, G Dragon and. Uh... Oh, Big Bang! Yeah, that that's I love them too. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, how do people who want to connect with you? How do they get in touch with you? How do they? Well, I mean, yeah, definitely just uh, visit the website neveragaintech. Neveragaintech. Um, okay. And... Um, and we have like a fill out your information kind of like a uh, form. 